0: Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here of The Common Sense Show. Thank you so much for joining us. And although this site mostly deals with geopolitical issues, you have to admit, we have our fair share of shows where we really look at things that are important in history. Uh, we've had L.A. Marzulli on and, and Tim Alvarino. We've gone down that route. And uh, today we're going to really take a hard look at history and the early American history is not what we were taught as kids. And it certainly isn't what our children are being taught. And I just wonder if there was CRT back then. Anyway, I digress. But we have Brett Height with us here on the Doug and Dave Intel Report. And we're going to talk about what he's been doing. we we'll be talk about the paleo research group, Poverty Point. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, a bunch of other stuff too, including copper redating Native Americans. I so, said, whoa. Yeah, this is big, folks. This The research that's going on right now by archaeology, the unfettered research, it's not university-sponsored because they want to preserve the status quo, but it's doing amazing things. Brett, welcome to the show. I'm glad you could join us. So why don't you start us off by telling what you have been up to recently. And by the way, i got to say, Brett's a trooper. He traveled all day, hustled to get here in time for the interview because he was out doing this work.
1: First of all, thanks for having me back on again. It's always a pleasure to be on you guys' show. Sure. And um, recently, um, I went to Net, went to Israel. We we discussed earlier that the picture behind me was taken in Israel, and uh, I've been doing some some work on some videos from Israel, and I've been using this as my background. This is actually the place where King Herod was buried. It's a big giant mound, which. Uh, is interesting since we're going to be discussing some mounds, but uh, uh, that was that was a uh, I've been back about three weeks now, but today actually I've been out. I went to Spyro, Oklahoma, and uh, I met with a friend of mine, uh, um, 20 years ago. Him and I started caving and exploring together, and he even now lives in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And that's about, I think it's like 20 minute drive to Spiral Mounds from his house. So he met with me today and we filmed today, and uh, we 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 studied some things prior to going, and we found out some more things when we got there today. It was my my second visit to the site; it was his first, and uh, we just keep learning more and more about this site. And this site is probably one of the most significant sites of all of the archaeological sites in the United States. It really played a, played a key role. In uh, some of our ancient history. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so
0: where where is the field of archaeology going? Before we get into the specifics, we wanted to talk about. Can you kind of give us a general overview of where archaeology, historical research, is going, and what you think it's going to teach the American people who dare to pay attention?
1: I think the mainstream academic archaeology has been going in the same direction ever since about 150 years and and we run into the same kind of talk at each of these sites that we visit doug's been involved in some of these and they're, they are taught a certain thing and they stick to that and they defend that and some people they're not step outside the box and so i see archaeology moving into with with the uh, with the ease of use of cameras and video equipment that we have today, we have more of the public stepping out, the the non-trained um amateur archaeologists stepping out and exploring things for themselves and trying to put the pieces together because things just don't add up sometimes when we when we relate back to the what we were taught in school. Um, you know, you run across uh, different Native American tribes, for instance, that Will tell you that well, our people really didn't do this. There was a people that that were here before us that that took part in this, and then we picked up on some of these practices and kind of carried it on. So, anyway, there's sometimes you just you can't answer questions about history with what we've been taught in in school or what's taught in the universities in some some cases. So, I think you see, like, say, amateurs stepping out looking for answers for themselves. Do you know where else you see this, Brent? you also see this
0: in astronomy. Some of the biggest astronomical discoveries right now are coming from citizen astronomers who, who can get good equipment, and they know how to work the computers and the software, and they've made some amazing discoveries. I mean, some of the comet discoveries and so forth, really interesting stuff. And so is it almost like, I hate to go conspiratorial and archaeological deal, but it's almost like there's a conspiracy to hide our past hide our surroundings and it's up to the people to uncover the real truth in these areas
1: yeah and that's been the case throughout history um throughout history governments have contri- have tried to control the narrative you know whoever was in power is the one that wrote history uh, the way they wanted it to be so there's always been some kind of cover up and it takes people that uh have a, a mindset to want to know the truth uh, that to go looking for it to uncover some of the things that we we thought we knew. Um, I see a lot of a lot of people nowadays scratching their heads about was well, this really the way it is? you know with the more technology and the more uh, the the faster way that we're able to access knowledge, um, some people, Are are looking for the truth. You still got the majority of the population, I believe that just lives day by day and lives for the weekend and lives for the two weeks of vacation every year and not really uh, considering the past or even care. Sometimes it doesn't seem like, but we still have a group of people that that's out there digging for the truth. And as long as we have that, I think, uh, I think we still have something exciting to look forward to. Yeah. Do you find that your
0: work? Like like when Doug and I go into some of the more um, extreme and volatile political areas, we take a tremendous amount of heat, even when, we, when we've done is well documented. Do you find that right. you're finding the same kind of treatment in in your field?
1: Yes, and and when I visit these these sites, these archaeological sites, they're they're usually state run or they're federally funded, and they have a superintendent on site and an authority of some sort. a state archaeologist in some cases and you kind of be kind of have to be careful what you say in order not to get in the debate with these people because they've been taught one thing they believe that thing and they don't they don't step outside that that box sometimes so i've learned to uh, do more listening than i do talking and pick up the useful information that i can get from these people and sometimes just be quiet about what my real objective is. And when I'm there, you know, my real objective being finding out what the actual truth is. Sounds kind of like you've run into the, uh,
0: what I would call the Zai Hawassus protector of the pyramids, uh, history. You know, here's the, here's the state version. And then you're going out to find out what the real story is. God bless you for doing this, man. And see, I taught history when I was first out of college, I love Mm -hmm. history. I love it. And I, I too, also know how history gets perverted. And uh, this is really important. What do you think is the most important thing we'll learn at the end of the day? Before we dive into what you ran up to specifically, and we're going to have Doug read something here in a second. When you look and say, okay, where is this all going? What do you think the most significant thing for the public will be that you're going to be able to bring
1: forth and you and your colleagues? Mm. That's a tough question. For me, um, I go back into the biblical narrative, narrative me being yeah. biblically biblically based, and I'm I'm looking for the truth spiritually. And so, to me, it's tried to uh, it's trying to awaken people spiritually and letting them know that we do have an enemy out there. The, the world is our enemy at times, and sometimes it lies to us, and and uh, we need to take note of these things and always be searching for what the truth is. Okay. I think
2: that's really noble. Doug, you're involved in this too. Let me ask you the same question. Well, you know, you have, you have entities like uh, the Vatican and the Spanish Inquisition, who for hundreds of years have destroyed um, historical heritage, heritage sites all around the world, especially in Peru. And their cover up of history destruction of history. Um, what it did was it ended up covering up the mystic religions that Brent will will mention here in a little while that were found all over the world and the entities that were worshiped that are similar all over the world. And then, you know, we also have a bigger um, situation, which is that there were giants once in these lands and they happened to have roamed all over the earth. And, and, You know, between the Spanish Inquisition and the things that happened with the Smithsonian, and if if Brother Mondo Gonzalez was on right now, he'd have about an hour's worth of complaint to mention with uh, the Smithsonian. He's actually writing um, a book that's about the Smithsonian and all their cover-ups. And, you know, since the, well, let's say, since the 1800s, there has been so many different reports just in America. We'll stay just in America. Of finding giant bones. And then whenever, you know, amateur groups like ours goes to do our own preliminary investigations, there's nothing there. Well, part of that problem is because it's already been found. It's been moved and sometimes destroyed or confiscated by the government. And then also, like Brent was talking about with the state and federal lands, our ability then to have an independent investigation, um, archaeological based is then hindered because you have regulations and Brent don't you dare bring up the drone story but if you do I don't blame you um but you know we, we Now have, I want to know. Oh god, he's going to embarrass me. <laughs> but what we what we have is is a problem of this is the narrative that the governments will tell you and we saw the same thing in Wama in Peru um in in Ojan Tambo me and uh, Steve Quell and Timothy Alberino experienced that and they'll say, this is the line, this is as far as we'll go with telling you, and we say, well, we know this much of this truth, why won't you admit to that? And they'll say, oh, that truth is not real, because the historians don't say it's real. Well, just because that's what they're teaching in college doesn't make it true. You know, right now, they're teaching in college that, you know, you can be an amphibian, you can be whatever, um, you know, sexual orientation that you'd like. So, if they're going to promulgate that type of false narrative, then... You know, we know they'll pervert history and they have been perverting history, but what's the goal? The goal, like Brent said, is a biblical narrative. And that's yeah. where the Paleo Research yeah. Group is. We are a biblically narrative driven, um, paleological, and um, archaeological group. And our goal is to prove the the biblical narrative that there were things that were here prior to the First Nations people that will link back to the Levant and some of the other areas around Israel, and that will prove that there were entities that at one point were all around the world that were destroyed by a flood and then came back afterwards. And so, you know, the risk is that if we expose that, if we can find a bone, if we can find a skull, we can then say if this history was real, and all these people who call themselves experts say that it wasn't, what else are they lying to us about? And then what we do is we plant the seed in the mind of the person who does not believe the biblical narrative. So then the theist, the people who are um, you know who who don't believe in uh, God they And they believe in the Darwinian evolution, they will then start to question what their masters have told them, and then the fabric starts to unwound, and that is how we plant the seed, and that's why we do what we do. That's why we go into the caves, that's why we go to these mounds and Brent also can mention how it's very sad because of modern farming. That many of these archaeological sites, these very precious archaeological sites have been destroyed because of farming. There's one area, Brent, is it battle wax that we went to where I actually found the, um, the spear tip, um, you know, at least 20, 30 acres or probably more of nothing but mounds from as far as you could see were completely destroyed. It was a population, a city, an entire city destroyed by farming. And that was just in one location, a square mile. How many different ones of these have been destroyed? And then there's another place that Brent ha- has recently discovered in, our, in uh, Arkansas that may hold some very, very hidden treasures. And we won't know until we really dig into it. We've been doing drone scans on it um, by doing collaboration with L.A. Marzulli and Timothy Alberino and Gary Haven. And so, you know, after crunching the data, we find that we may have to just go ahead and dig, but, and, and Brent, if you want to talk about this uh, now or you can talk about it later, there are, there are so many other things about this one site that don't make sense to any other sites that we've been to. So what we come to find is just in Arkansas, it is a gold mine, a plethora of the mound builders who were the people that were here before the First Nations people, and they admit that to us. We didn't do this. These things that are scratched on these walls, these burial tombs, that's not ours. We buried on top of it. So we're trying to find who was here prior. And the story is the ones that were here prior were the giants. Well, are they the giants of old, the mighty men of renown? That is what we believe. And we won't know until we find the bone and they can prove this is who we say they are. This is who the First Nations people said they were that they were terrorized by, that they were sometimes enslaved by, that they had worshipped So as there gods. was there was overlap there of the two races? Absolutely. And yeah. and in this same problem, um, this this Nephilim giant problem can then be found not just in Arkansas, but out in California, and then connecting, okay? And then from there, it goes into South America, and it's found all throughout South America, and then travel across the water, and it's in the Levant area. Go into Northern Europe, and in Britain, and in Scandinavia, giants were there. Go to China, giants were there. So, you know, this this one little bitty word that we use a lot called a giant is one of the things that archaeological archaeologists, um archaeologists, excuse me, from the universities, they don't want to admit that. Brent has been to some of the actual state run museums with LA Marzuli and Mondo, and they don't want to talk about it. And you have to ask the question if this was wrote down in history from all cultures around the world, why do you deny it? Brent, why do you what, think that? What what do they say, Brent? well it's uh
1: i've had them just simply say well we don't believe that uh i i had a debate with a um uh, an archaeologist at a at a cave site uh actually and it had some celtic writing on the wall which dates back to a time where uh they said people couldn't uh, in this country couldn't read and write or didn't have a written language. And I said, well, this, this language was only used during this time period. So how did it get on this cave wall? And he said, that's not a language. That's art. And I said, well, that same art is on two other caves in the United States that I know about. I said, so, so what is it? And he said, well, we, we don't believe that. We just believe that it's just art. Now that's not conclude- the way science works, bruh. Right, okay, right. I'm not an
0: archaeologist, okay, but I taught stat and research at a fairly high level. That's we don't believe it doesn't mean anything,
1: right? That's crazy. And let me touch on a couple of things. Doug uh, said a mouthful there a little bit and hit on a few topics that that I uh, had some encounters with today. One is religion. Um, at all of these sites that I go to, most of them, I'll say anyway, there's a common religion. And it has to do with sun worship. And it has to do with tracking the movement of the sun and or the moon in some cases. Today, the site that I was at, um, there's evidence there that there's a central mound. And these other mounds line up in such a way that they depict the the equinoxes, the equinox and the solstices. And so uh, we we saw that also. At Toltec, Doug was with us on that trip, and Mondo. And uh, some of the mounds did not quite line up. They kind of did, but but we we seen some 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 room for question there. Uh, it was the same at this site that I was at today. Uh, some of the mounds were off just a little bit. I don't know why you would find two sites that are supposed to be depicting. Uh, I think it was uh, the spring solstice. And um, one mound is off just a little bit in alignment and when I when I say alignment, if you take the center mound and you draw a line toward the the rising of the sun at a certain time of year, there should be a straight line that cuts through the center of the mound that's out in front of it right um so if anyway. you go back thousands of years and
0: use that program they use with the pyramids. To so see what they pointed at. Yeah, well, that's one, and the other one is called precession, uh, mm-hmm. that they use on the stars. So I, I know, like, with the pyramids, they can take some of them back 17,000-plus years back, and they all pointed to Orion. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you guys know about this. Is there right. a similar approach you take with the mounds? Are they like the pyramids in that regard?
1: Yes, but just uh, when we first get to a site, it's it's a lot more simple than that we we basically pull out a compass and we find north and therefore we find east and then we determine you know how many degrees south of east is is the spring solstice and 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 north of east is the is the is the fall so you solstice. do you do real time analysis but i guess what i'm
0: wondering do you ever try to give get clues by markers of where they would
1: have pointed to thousands of years ago?
0: Or yes, hundreds we, of years
1: ago. We, we've done that, but the sun and the moon are pretty much a constant. Now, the where you find variations is when you start looking at stars, things that emulate the stars. But the, the sunrise and the, and the like, for instance, uh, the moon takes 18.62 years to make its complete cycle. And that is actually depicted in a mountain in Ohio. Now, who who sat there for eighteen point six two years and 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 stuck a peg in the ground? You know i mean this this knowledge was handed down somehow or another to these yeah. people. also, let me get back to the religious aspect of it. The main thing that that most of these enti- these these tribes or whatever you want to call them are worshiping is the sun. And that, you know, we know that Egyptians worship the sun god, Ra. Well, they're doing the same thing over here. And, And at the same time, this is not something that was learned in Egypt and then brought over here. Because the site that I was at today was actually flourishing at the same time that Genghis Khan was on his conquest. And so some of the same things that were happening then were happening at the same time over here in this you know in a different geographical location so this is a common knowledge worldwide and like i say there's different variations in the way that the people pay tribute to the sun and sometimes there's a there's a medium that's the intermediary between the people and the sun and that would be the chiefdom of of a kingdom like uh, the the chief or the high priest of a of a tribe or a kingdom of people and so, special attention is given to that one person, and oftentimes we hear rumors and we find literature that documents that's that's old um that a lot of times these chiefs are the giants. not all the people are giants, but the chief usually is um and and that's Abraham Lincoln had a quote at Niagara Falls that he made. He said "The extinct race of giants whose bones fill the mounds of North America." once gazed upon Niagara, as our eyes do today. He started a speech like out with that. So in his time, it was common knowledge that they often found abnormally sized skeletal remains in these mounds. So, uh, Doug, why don't you read the quote? Before you go on to Uh, Doug's quote, I just want to ask you this. Okay. kind of insinuating,
0: and maybe I'm taking the wrong meaning here, but I almost think I heard you say... That the giants were in charge of the normal sized people.
1: Is it, that what I that mean? That's that's you know, that's the way I see it. Uh just like in, in biblical terms, I just visited a place called Gilgal Raphaim, which is in the area of Bashan, which King Og was the king of Bashan at the time of the Israelites' conquest of Canaan, and it says that in the Bible that King Og's bed was 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. So why would you need a bed that long? If you had a 13 and a half foot long bed, is it because you're a 12 footer maybe? Or, you know, That's today, amazing. Our, bed,
0: today our beds are
1: just a little bit longer than we are.
0: Let so. me boot, let me bootstrap this one more time. And, okay. and then I promise I'll shut up because I want Doug to read this. But when you're talking about the Giants, and we're going back to some level of antiquity, and they're in charge could this really be
1: the remnants of the fallen angels? Genesis 6? I think I think it could be. Part of the same bloodline anyway. You know, when we read, when you dive deep into the the conquest of Canaan, when the Israelites go in, there's all kinds of tribes there that are considered as a whole Canaanite people, but then there's divisions among those, and they have different names that are given to them. And so um uh, just like King Og was over Bashan, but then next door to him in a small country, you had King Sihon, and he was also a giant. Uh, then, when they sent the spies then to is to the land of Canaan to spy out the land, they, they ran across a group of people called the Anakim, which were named after... Uh, Anak or Anak, some people say his father's name was Arba. He was also a champion. They labeled they, they said the same thing about Goliath. He was a champion. That that means he was greater than anybody else. Or he was and Goliath and his four brothers ruled over the five cities uh that were in uh Philista, I guess, and that was the called, they were called the five lords of the Philistines. Um and oddly enough David chose five stones from the brook before he went out to meet Goliath. And to me, that was symbolic. Uh, the five stones that he chose were to take out the five lords of the Philistines, which they eventually did uh, in David's time. So another another thing, uh, your initial question was, are the big people ruling over the little people, basically? Another thing that you find commonly is you have this phenomenon of this group of people that have these elongated skulls. And sometimes these elongated skull people are the leaders too. And I think you see that in, in the Egyptian art. A lot of times these pharaohs have headdresses on and that covers up the fact to me in some cases that their head is elongated. But then you have tribes of people that are cradle boarding, cradle boarding their babies. And wrapping their heads, you know, in an infant stage in order to make their heads appear elongated. And and you can tell the difference between a skull that's been artificially elongated and one that's been, um, that is naturally elongated. And Doug's worked on that project extensively with, with LA, um, and, and Mondo also. But, um, my point is there's, there's, there's some markers that indicate. Uh, traits that are attached to bloodlines that are people that rule the world. And I think bloodlines are still, certain bloodlines are still ruling the world to this date. You know, I I
0: brought this up to Doug many times on other broadcasts, but um, it's my suspicion, and that's all I can say it is, that I I asked this question, why do the rulers of this planet, the names you never hear, engage in such abject evil that's endangering all lives on the planet and what i keep coming back to is could this be the descendants of the fallen angels and they're totally separate from humanity they hold us in disregard they know who they are we don't know our history um i mean does that anywhere fit into this scenario
1: yeah and i think I think there's a pretty good explanation. There's a parable in the Bible. I'm going to refer back to the Bible again. There's a parable in the Bible about the tares and the wheat. And it says that the enemy came in and sowed tares among the wheat. And so the workers came to the master and said, there's been tares sowed among the wheat. Should we go out there and remove the tares? And he said, no. Don't do that, cause you'll trample down the wheat in the process. But he, we'll just wait till harvest time, and then we'll separate the tares from the wheat. Okay. So what that parable is telling us, the enemy would be Satan, maybe, and he's sowing his people among our people. You know, why is that? Why is that parable put in there? It's telling us that we are on this planet with another group of people, and the, and they're among us. And I think. I think that's been happening all throughout time. Um Doug understands why he's... I'm smiling from ear to ear. Uh,
0: <laughs> we have had this discussion on air. Wow.
2: That's this your is... that's your hybrid suggestion.
0: It, it truly is. Doug, you're going to read a poem and um
2: so it's it's historically um based off a of Dana of boom, but before I get there, I want to say this about the the First Nations people. It has been presumed um, from my time in college to, you know, probably most people's time studying the culture that they are a primitive um, hunter-gatherer group, that they, uh, they had no real skills as technology, um, astrological skills, math, uh, mathematics, science. Um, that the religions were sparse, they were cannibalistic. Savage is the word that comes up quite a bit, right? And Mm -hmm. it was a savage culture, but so was ours. But that has nothing to do with what Brent is talking about. These people who were here um, prior to the Europeans getting here were technologically lost that there's a point in time and we someone is eventually going to un- uncover this someone is eventually going to find technology here hidden beneath the red dirt of America and i think the southwest region is where it's uh, probably going to be found because that's where the craziest paranormal giant stories are all across the region from you know California going across all the way to Texas and then into um Arkansas and Oklahoma and Louisiana all the way over to Georgia. Not so much north, but kind of you know the southern part. And eventually this will be found and it will prove that the First Nations people were very advanced for their time. Their their metallurgy, as, as Brent has mentioned before with copper, um, their ability to have Astrological timing, you know, like you said, eighteen point six two years for the the moon cycle in a peg in the ground every year. Who the hell is doing that? Who told them to do that? Right now they were doing that in Central America, Mesoamerica. They were doing that in South America, and they were doing that all over the world. Well, who told them to do that? Since when was it so important? If it's a hunter a hunter gatherer group, and look, guys, I mean. You're telling me that this group who was using these tools, like this spear tip, were so unconventional when it came to technology and mathematics, but yet they took the time to watch the stars and every rotation of the sun and the moon. For all you flat earthers, that's going to make you really upset. So I think that right there, there is an immediate, like, just overlook, a complete overlook of what these people were able to, to comprehend. And like Mike mm-hmm. Britt said, someone taught them that. And they say it was the people before. And the people before, thus far, that we can find the most of is the mound builder culture. And what we find the most of in the mound builder culture, seven footers and higher. All right. So let's let's listen to this from uh this little passage called Prehistoric Man. Is this Daniel, Daniel Boone. Yes, yes, it okay. is. When Daniel Boone and his associates first came to Kentucky, they found many evidences of a previous occupation of the country ancient graves, curious mounds of earth, some of enormous size, and fortifications of earth and stone. They naturally assumed that these structures had been built by the Indians who then inhabited the region, but when they asked these Indians for an explanation of the origin and purpose of these mounts. To and Forts, the Indians replied, Our people did not build them. They belong to a people whom our forefathers taught, or whom our forefathers fought and drove from this territory. But whence these people came and whether they have gone, we do not know. So, Brent, how many times have we heard that story from people right. that are First Nations people um, about a race of people that their ancestors had fought? And who was right. that race of people, Brent? Right. And that's
1: the big question. Um, you know, let me tell you this. I kind of cut myself off from, from my trip to Spyro today. Let me tell you a couple of significant things that we found out um that tie into what we're talking about here. First of all, let's talk about the giant aspect. Um, there was, there's a mound there called Craig's Mound, and it kind of sits off to the side of the mound complex, but it's the biggest of the mounds there. It's not the central mound, but it's the biggest of the mounds there. The reason it is, because it was a burial mound, and they found numerous graves and artifacts. I mean, this place is the most artifact rich site in the United States and the artifacts that they were coming out of this were a lot of them were copper mask uh face plates um you know there's a lot of copper involved in this now they've they've looked at these artifacts and they have determined that some some of these artifacts came from as far as 1400 miles away we're not talking about just what we call the the 50 states here the 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 48 states Uh, we're talking about stuff's coming from Canada, stuff's coming from Mexico, and even farther south. And they're making a pilgrimage to this spot in Spiral, Oklahoma, that's right on the Arkansas River. And this place seems to be the cultural, the, the religious center of a region that covers from Colorado all the way out to Alabama and Georgia. It, se- it seems as people are coming to this site. And so there's, there's, there's lots of conch shells, you know, the big seashells you find in the Gulf. And they do a lot of carving on this. There's all kinds of shells at this site, seashells. Some species come from California. Uh, they found like 300 pounds of a certain type of small shell that came from California in this one, uh, mound. Which there's multiple burials inside of this mound, uh, and some people theorize that they were using these small shells as a form of currency. That's why there would be so many of them in one giant pile in the middle of this mound. And so it, this same burial site also had like seven or eight spears and 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 um, a few mace or axe tools, like weapons of war, and then had... And they determined that all of these people buried this these artifacts with um, this. Now I'm going to tell you, nine footer that was supposedly in the in the grave there that was dug out in 1930. And they were they were doing this in preparation, making this this uh, person that had perished, we'll say, uh, capable of traveling into the underworld. So he had all the things he needed. To get to the place where he was going after he left here. When you say so, the underworld, do you mean hell? Is that a biblical reference well, to hell? It it could be. I was just in uh, I was just in Israel as I mentioned earlier. There's a place there that's that was the Temple of Pan, and there's a cave there, and they believe that cave is the entrance to the underworld, or they call it the Gates of Hell, and coincidentally. Um that is the place where Jesus stood and he told the apostle Peter upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not pr- uh, prevail against it. They were standing at Caesarea Philippi and that is where this cave is. That's where the temple of Pan was and there was all other kinds of uh, pagan temples that were built there and this this small city or settlement is at the base of Mount Hermon which is according to the book of Enoch, the, the place where the, the uh, fallen angels descended in the days of Jared. So you start tying all this stuff together. So let's go back to Spiro. They have the same belief system in Oklahoma as they did over in Caesarea Philippi in, in Israel. They believe that there's an underworld, and when you die, you're traveling to this place. So they filled the grave full of uh, items that the person would need on their journey to the underworld. Um, so you got the same kind of religion, they're worshiping. Uh, Another thing, the, the eternal flame, you see that in the artwork that you find on the pottery and on the shells. Uh, it's, it's a symbol that's inside a circle that's in the center of what looks like a cross with a circle around. It looks like a Celtic symbol actually, but in the center of it, um, and I'm going to tie this together with something else. In the center of it, there's this eternal flame, which is representing the sun, because the sun doesn't go out. It keeps burning. So at this center mound, they kept a fire burning there. They said 24 hours a day, they theorized, because of the charcoal remains of different things that they found there. So just about 15 miles away, there's five places, I believe, in Oklahoma. The first one's 15 miles away, where you find... um Viking writing, rune stones. And so this one symbol that's found here at this site looks like a Celtic cross with the eternal flame in it. So that makes me wonder, did some people come from Europe over here, pre-Native American times, like Nordic, Viking, um, Celtic, and mix and mingle with these people, because you're finding artifacts at this site in Oklahoma that has both Mayan, Aztec-looking stuff, and also Celtic writing, Ogham, and Viking-type symbology. Um, and as a matter of fact, the artwork is is uh, said to be the first written language that was uh, used in the United States, what is now the United States. It's not an alphabet but it's like a a picture language and uh hieroglyphics like so, yeah you've got you've got i think you've got several different cultures coming together and they're bringing artifacts as gifts they have big ceremonies at this place there's there's one place there that the the center mound is called brown's mound and and they said only men were allowed to go there they theorized that from the remains that they found that they would drink poison and inhale or smoke certain types of types of poison to purge themselves, to make themselves throw up basically, because they had to be completely empty when they went to this place for the ritual date. And so my friend Scott, that was with me today when I made that statement to him, he said, you know, that, that that's, that's weird. He said, because, Supposedly, the demonic spirits are looking for an empty vessel to be in. Well, do you mean before you go to session? Whoa, whoa.
0: Doug, we've talked about
1: this. Yeah. Demon possession is looking for a a willing vessel to inhabit. And so by these people purging themselves with these poisons, they made themselves
2: open to be to be possessed. That's interesting because like before you go to have like a major surgery you have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right? That's an interesting concept. What do you make of not to switch gears but another place that I think is a, a mecca of conspiracies Dave and I have gotten off three or four times about this one with the Hopi culture, um Grand mm-hmm. Canyon. And all, all right. the and all the mentions of Grand Canyon and uh Egyptian hieroglyphs and artifacts, and artifacts. yeah. You and I and Mondo Gonzalez, our paleo research group, are, are potentially planning a visit to this place. So, what do you what do you think of that?
1: Well, I've been told that we can't visit this place, but we're going to find out, aren't we? Um, yeah, we're we're gonna full push. That and see, action. this was also this. I, if I'm not mistaken, the uh, what you're referring to is back, and I think it was the 1920s. I think it was 1928, to be exact, that supposedly this man found some sarcophagus or sarcophagi, is that the word, plural? Anyway, uh in this cave and, and all kinds of Egyptian artifacts. And then it's it's been said that the Smithsonian swooped in and shut this thing down and it didn't get talked about anymore after that. Um So it it's Spyro, you know, if... If you'll notice, all these major mound sites that are so huge that you can't really just cover them up, they get um, so classified the a protective the, class, as a UNESCO World Heritage Site, or you know the state parks take over and control it, and that stops any. Um, regular guys like us from going out and investigating something. We can go look at it and we can listen to the story that they tell us about it, but we're not allowed to touch it. Are Uh, these like protected sites? Like you see
0: UNESCO have these sites. Um, What was your question? Uh, Are Uh, these sites you're referring to that you go to, are they protected by the federal government and also by UNESCO?
1: Yes. Um, You know, the UNESCO sites are, I guess under global protection yes um uh, so yeah they are protected and that's that's one thing and we have we have credentialed people on our team and so we can get into some places that some people can't get into as easily and we can get permission to do some things through the state and through other agencies um but some states are more lenient than others as to what you can do uh on private property and uh, so we we tend to focus uh working in states where where uh they they leave the discretion on digging up to the property owner and so that 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 allows you to do a little bit more deeper research on artifacts and things let me go back to what i was saying at spiral we were we were talking about um the big guys being the kings are in charge and over the littler people or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it's not just size. Sometimes it's not the elongated skulls, but sometimes it's just the intelligence level, which I think we see a lot today. Um, but there was supposedly in 1930 an foot skeleton that was taken from Craig's Mound at Spyro. And they were finding so many artifacts that they were getting money for that they took all these bones and they set them at the back of the tent that they were working out of. And they kept focusing on the artifacts because they were selling these things. There were six guys that went in there and, and formed a a mining company is what they call it. But what they did is they looted this mound and they sold the artifacts all, they got scattered all over the place. And it was some of the most amazing artifacts that's ever been found in the United States. And but one thing that they found there, and, and I've heard that there's multiple of these, but at least one skeleton that they believe measured to be nine feet, uh, when they went back to retrieve it from the back of the tent, it was gone. And so we don't have any record that. And that and that we hear this story over and over. And when when you come up with these giant bones, they either get swept away or swept under the rug. It's there, what
0: they don't want giant, you to know. You know, yeah, you, you know, You know, just a weird hypothesis, but mm. let's say the Satanist DNA is controlling the planet. This is the kind of information they don't want out. All right. And so there might be this compartmentalization where the orders on high are given and you shall not do this. And it filters down to the level you're talking about, because I could see a real reason for a cover up. I want to ask you mm-hmm. about world religions. You've mentioned that a couple of times. And that okay. you think that one time there was a world religion. Is this tied anything remotely close or similar in concept to the Tower of Babel?
1: Yes, I I think that could be that could be part of uh, maybe the beginning of this type of, of thing. Um we know that as early as in the garden from the biblical text that Satan tampered with God's word. So yeah. uh, Genesis covers about twenty five hundred years of time. We don't know how long Adam and Eve were here before before the fall, but we know that after that is when is when uh different cultures started believing in different things, and then the whole Tower of Babel story is it sounds like the people rose up and and were trying to form a rebellion against God, mm-hmm. and God looked down and said, "Okay, got to put a stop to this." But the interesting thing he says is that if we don't put a stop to it, that whatever they think of to do will not be impossible to them. So evidently they were becoming too strong and too powerful. Uh, so God drew a line there and put a limit, and he confused their speech. And I think that that is at the point where people were scattered all over the globe because there's a I think it's in Genesis chapter 10 when it's going through the genealogies there's one character that's mentioned and his name means division and it says after that because in his day the earth was divided and I think when you look back at the timeline that happens about the time of the tower of babel incident so um so I think there was a global re- religion at one time, and I think that throughout time that it got expressed in different ways, but it had its roots in the same place, and maybe that was the Tower of Babel. But I, I know that we find all of the United States anyway, and I just recently was in Israel and Jordan, and and you find the same types of worship taking place worldwide and, and at the same time, so it's not like these people was over here, and they got in a ship, and they sailed over here, and then told these people this. I mean, it's like going on simultaneously. It's not—we've uh, talked before about how some of the artifacts and structures traveled when the people traveled, but it seems like this knowledge of this sun worship, which ties into Osiris, which ties into the uh, agriculture aspects of worship— the evergreen trees, the groves, the high places, all that stuff's tied together. Um, And so, you know, you got to ask yourself, how did the whole world at that time, in a time that we've been told that didn't have flying machines or Internet or cell phones, um, how did they all know the same thing, you know, and we're practicing it worldwide? It's amazing. This is so fascinating.
0: Um, We're just about out of time. And I feel like okay. we're just getting started. I mean, we're gonna, we gonna—we definitely have to have you back more often. Um, our, when we've had you on, Brett, we've gotten pretty good reviews. Not pretty good, really good reviews. Uh, Doug,
2: anything you want to add in conclusion here? You know, the more we dig, the more we find. And right now it's just um, trying to get out to the field. And trying to get many of the excavations that we plan on doing, you know, Brent, there's so much to do for just one team of guys. And that's why, Mm -hmm. you know, it's good for the amateur archaeologist groups to get out there and to get involved with this because, you know, we three are out there doing it and we have some help here and there but it's a lot of ground to cover and you got to know what you're doing you got to have a love for what you're doing it's a lot of perseverance for what Brent does Brent has dedicated most of his life to this knowledge and he is equally as knowledgeable or if not more knowledgeable than many of the experts that many of you follow currently Brent is one of those real guys who he's a he's a diamond in the rough and man he's out there all the time there's almost never a topic that you can ask Brent about, you know, ancient history that he doesn't know of, or can, you know, shine a light on something you didn't know. And so, you know, you have a lot of guys like Brent out there who are doing this research and they're just not known. They're doing it because they have a love for it. You know, Brent's one of those guys, every, every Creek and river that he drives by, he looks over and says, I wonder how many arrowheads are out there. You know, he's one of those guys and I love being out there with him and Mondo and um, you know, because of Brent, my 300-pound self loves going into caves now, and not just walking into it. I mean, crawling in places you'd never think a man my size get into. And uh, Brent is the team leader. He is the guy who's the in charge of our team for the Paleo Research Group. So this is, you know, his love. This is uh, this is all his baby, and we're out there to support what he's doing. And because we enjoy it, we have a heck of a time doing it. And you know once again man this is history that's being lost through the pages that they're not being wrote down on so thank you brent for what you do and um you know exposing the truth that's out there for those of us who really love the truth especially from the biblical narrative if you if you're going to be a christian you need to know the past that's why the old testament was writ for us to be able to get out there and read so brent thank you for what you do and for coming on with us and sharing your experiences right i do have just a couple more brief questions um Is
0: it
1: possible for people to support your work, and if so, how? Yes, and recently we have got a couple of donations. Um, First of all, if you want to see, and it's not out now because I just did this work at Spiral today, but in a few days I'll have a video out. I have a channel on YouTube. It's Brent Hite Outdoors, B-R-E-N-T-H-I-T-E Outdoors, and you can go to that channel. You can leave comments there. There's an email where you can get a hold of me. Um, you can also contact Doug, and uh, Doug has uh, the American Vindictus show, and you have an e- email address as well for that. Uh, is that
2: yeah. listed on YouTube? Yeah, American Show at gmail dot com. Right, that's true. And and uh d- sorry, did you say you
0: had a website? I know you mentioned the uh, yeah. other.
1: Uh, I don't I don't have a website for the Paleo Research Group as of yet. That's under construction right now. Okay. Um, but you can't follow him on Facebook. Let people know where they can follow you at. Yeah, it's just my name, Brent Height, B-R-E-N-T-H-I-T-E, on Facebook. I, I feel like a kidney candy store, guys. I, I mean, I really want to
0: thank you for this. I mean, I, I'm helping to facilitate this interview, and I feel like I'm just observing and entertained by it. It's fascinating stuff. And uh, there's no shortage. Uh, We should, Doug, we should have Brett back more often, Mondo too, because there's no end to this because we've ignored this whole block of history.
2: Well, Dave, one day you're just going to have to come into a cave with us. That's 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 what I was going to say. Dave, you need to come join us. Uh, Those days (laughs) may be past me. (laughs) I can do a sled in the garage. I don't know if
0: I can climb into a cave. (laughs) Oh, you know, I will give it serious consideration. My wife would welcome it because she gets rid of me for a weekend. Um, <laughs> anyway, guys, thank you so much for this. Um, I know we really focus on geopolitics, but this is important and this really does relate to geopolitics too. Um, so guys, thanks for coming on. Uh, really appreciate your work. Thank you.